Fantastic. Everyone from the top. <laughs> That's going to be the pre-roll. Welcome in to Chasing Interesting. I am Craig Hoffman. I am Joe Girard. We are back in the building, but really not together, but we're here. You're in a different building. Yeah. I mean, we're actually from, like, we're actually, you know, 3,000, 3,200 miles away, something like that. But we are... I don't know. I didn't put it in Google Maps. Through the beauty of technology, Craig, we are together again. Indeed. Our guest today normally would be like your neighbor out there in L.A., although she is in Kansas City uh, right now, uh, isolating before she heads back home to see her parents in Minnesota. A very long, strange trip for Juliet Beckstrand of Vote Save America, who I just got done talking to. She was absolutely fantastic on not just what Vote Save America and Crooked Media has done, a website and a service, really, that we have referenced a bunch on this podcast, Joe, but... She had a career in politics before, why she got out of it, and just, I I think in a lot of ways, she comes at this the same way we do, where it's like, hey, we just want to see a better world, and so it's been interesting to talk to someone who's in it on a different way than we are on how she's trying to make what she wants into reality. Yeah, no, I'm very excited to hear from Juliet. Um, Also, you know, a lot happening this week with the Supreme Court nominee hearings. We'll get more into that. Early voting is in full effect across the country, Greg, and that's very exciting. Indeed. Uh, Joe. Yes. Have you voted? I have. We're two for two, baby. And I mailed it in already. So, And I'm doing the tracking thing, so I'm able to see it when they receive it and when it's counted, all that. Right. So next week, I say we do a vote update. And uh, you and I can both go on our separate tracking uh, and go, hey, our vote has been counted. That would be beautiful. That'll be fun. It's, it's just, it'd just be so lovely. All right. Do we just get into it? Let's just hit it. Let's just hit it. As you said, Joe, huge, monstrous, busy week, although it doesn't feel as much as it has in recent weeks because it's not as chaotic. I mean, it's hard to match a week in which the president gets the coronavirus. uh, And also, that was, what, three days after the worst debate in American history? So that's a little tough to beat. But (laughs) this week, in the quote-unquote lighter week, you have a Supreme Court hearing and you have some pretty major news in the vaccine front. We want to hit both of those quickly before getting to our interview with Juliet. And so, Joe, you've been keeping an eye on on the hearings with Amy Coney Barrett uh, over her Supreme Court seat. It's a foregone conclusion, but the hearings themselves are still somewhat interesting. What have you taken out of them? Yeah, um, it's been, uh, I've been trying to kind of catch them while they're live because they are doing them live on television. You know, she even had a, a nice opening statement, which I thought was interesting. She says, you know, courts are not designed to solve every problem or right every wrong, which is kind of concerning because, you know, she's uh, very conservative and there are a lot of things on the table that she might pull back, including um, Obamacare. And that is a big deal for a lot of people across the country. Um, now, has she come forth and said outright that? No. But that is in the back of a lot of people's minds. Um, but look at she's I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say she's a smart woman. She is very well spoken. Um, you know, I can totally see why the Republicans and President Trump nominated her. She's got it. She's got it going on, as they say, Craig. So it's, it's been fun to see. <laughs> she is very good at playing the game. And, and that is important um, because you can fool a lot of people. The problem for Amy Coney Barrett is that she's written on a lot of these topics. Like the, the silly thing to a point about these hearings is she's got published thoughts on a lot of this stuff that she thinks certain cases should be overturned and why. And, you know, she's only been a judge for three years, which is crazy. She was a law professor and has been groomed by this organization called the Heritage Foundation that basically grooms right-wing judges and the, every single judge that they appoint uh, in the Republican Party and all, all of Trump's judges are products of this Heritage Foundation. And I love that you pointed out her quote about the courts and it not being able to right every wrong because really that's exactly what the courts should do, right? This idea that the court should be political and when legislators make mistakes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And 
I, I just think of the two very words, or even the very word that the courts are around, right? It's the justice system. It is supposed to be justice. And so what's important to me out of a justice is that someone understands what justice looks like. And that is my ultimate concern with someone whose judicial philosophy is what is called originalism. Is and that's what Amy Coney Barrett is, and and her mentor uh, Antonin Scalia. That's what they thought is the Constitution was written, and we need to uphold the laws to uphold the Constitution, or we need to decide laws based off the Constitution. And the problem with that is, it's just by nature anti-progress, and by nature it becomes anti-justice because we learn over time that certain laws don't necessarily lead to just outcomes. And it's really important that the justice system pushes us towards a world where justice is a priority, not just upholding what already exists when lawmakers try to change it. Yeah, you know, and, and to kind of get back on originalism, you know, the Constitution wasn't perfect, you know, 200-plus years ago, but that doesn't mean it can't be updated and here we are in 2020 with a lot of new things out there and let's just be open to the to these changes and that's my concern with her is that she's kind of stuck 250 years ago and and I'm afraid that we're going to go back in time on a, on a lot of issues that's that's a concern um for me personally and I'm sure with a lot of people so we shouldn't jump in you know and say she definitely will but uh, you know I'm just let's keep an eye on that I mean, it sounds crazy, but I mean, that's literally going backwards. If you repeal Roe v. Wade, you repeal some of these other huge cases. Um, you know, we already did with the Voting Rights Act basically being gutted in 2013 um, by a, a fairly conservative court. So, yeah, it sounds dramatic to say, like, are we going to go back in time? But it, it really is on the table as a possibility. Looking forward, see what we did there. Look at the transition. So smooth. Give me a whoosh. Vaccine, it's going to come eventually for coronavirus, but to think that it was just going to go along 100% smoothly without any bumps in the road was probably presumptuous. And this is why we have a scientific process, Joe, and there's been a couple of snags in the process, if, if you want to give us the updates here. Yeah, there sure has. Uh, Johnson & Johnson and uh, Eli Lilly both pause, and they pause their clinical trials for safety concerns. Actually, a somebody uh, from the Johnson & Johnson trials got sick. They, by the way, they don't know how, they don't know where, or how it even originated, but they did get sick. They're okay. I mean, they're just kind of keeping an eye on them. But they did pause for concerns, um, and they don't know, you know, what that looks like just yet. And by the way, we should know this. Like, it is not easy to make a vaccine. Like, it's going to take time. It's right. going to take probably what like we talked about a year at least so and then you know of course our president is saying oh yeah we're moments away moments away that's just not even accurate right we need more time to see how these develop yeah it's wishful thinking i mean the other thing too like this person gets sick and this is a thirty thousand person trial someone was going to get sick because people get sick. If you take any random sampling of 30,000 people, someone's going to get sick. And then it's up to the scientists to go back in and say, okay, was this person sick because of the, the vaccine that we gave them? Or were they somehow compromised and that caused them to get sick? Or did they just get sick because it's a Tuesday in October and they got sick because they're one of 30,000 people and statistics say that is something that happens. So this is part of the scientific process. It's why all these checks and balances are in place. It's for our own safety. It's also to measure efficacy and, and does the vaccine actually work the way it's intended. And it's going to take a while to get these results. And so, yes, the president is going to go, oh, the vaccine's right around the corner. But we already are developing this vaccine at a faster pace and speed and with more force than any other vaccine we've ever developed in the history of the world. But there is only so fast it can go. And, and look, I don't want any hiccups. I'm not, for political reasons, I'm not like, oh, I want the president to be wrong. Like, no, like we can beat him without him being wrong on the COVID vaccine. If he gets this, then great. But 
probably means that we could have had it like a month sooner with a competent administration, but that's a different story, right? Like I want this vaccine as soon as possible. I want life to go back to normal. I want us to be able to travel. I want us to be able to mingle. I want sporting events to, to be filled with crowds. I want all of those things, but I want them to happen safely. And, and this was a, a good and in some way necessary reminder that it's not all going to be roses on the way. The last thing we want to talk about here in important and interesting you were intrigued by a, a tweet that I sent out yesterday or a, a thread that I sent out yesterday, which has happened the last two shows. Maybe I should tweet more. We'd have more content, Joe, uh, about the idea of voting month instead of election day. Yeah, I um, I did like this thread of yours. Uh, you know, at times you surprise me. I got to say, I got to give credit where credit is due. I have some good ideas sometimes. You know? Just every once in a blue moon. Basically, in a nutshell... You were pawning for instead of a one day voting, like we have a month full of voting where people can really hone in on their votes, take their time. No one's rushed. You know, things do happen last minute. Sometimes people don't vote because things, accidents happen, something happens to the kids, you know, whatever, they're in school or something happens or an accident, who knows? Like, and that does happen. So instead of just one day, and I will say though, the early voting, has been lights out already, like across the board. There's been record turnout in early voting so far, um, so that's good. But really, let's hone in on this and make it a thing moving forward. For sure. And as you said, in a lot of ways, this is the system we already had. And by the way, I got a flat tire today. What if it was on election day? Right. Would I have been screwed? Uh, I mean, I luckily, everything worked out timing-wise for me that I was able to get home and do the podcast. But if you are operating, as so many Americans do, with no wiggle room day-to-day between multiple jobs, kids, whatever other responsibilities you have, a pandemic. To give more margin for error, to create a system that encourages voting and makes it easy would be so much better. So my idea is essentially to not put the emphasis on the end. Quit putting the emphasis on election day and let's have election month. And so one of the things that has been kind of made a fuss about that isn't really that big of a deal but would be nice is the idea that we're not going to have results on election night, right? This year, because of all the absentee votes, we're going to have to probably wait a couple of days for the election results to come in. Well, if we had election month and if we cut off absentee ballots at, say, October 21st, let's say October is voting month, and on October 21st, that's the last day you can send in your mail-in ballot, then we have time to get all the mail-in ballots in and counted and say at noon on November 1st, you could have all the results released at once from every single state. Because sometimes that happens in West Coast states, right? The election's almost over before the polls close on election night in California, Arizona, Oregon, etc. Um, because we know that a certain number of electoral votes have already been hit. So it would be a way to eliminate that time bias because you wouldn't let any results out in the entirety of voting month. Everyone finds out at the exact same time and voila, there you go. You, you solve a lot of different problems. And by the way, you're going, wait, well, how come you're, you're eliminating part of the month for absentee ballots? Well, at that point, you had three weeks. So it's not like you're trying to squeeze your absentee ballots into wherever. And I would also be for universal mail-in voting. So everybody would have a ballot in their mailbox on October 1st. You have three weeks to send it back. And then if you miss it, you still have 10 days to vote in person. So you'd have early voting, more access to, to absentee ballots or mail-in voting. Um, you'd have the results ready to go at the same time, guaranteed no matter what. I just think it's a win all around and encourage higher turnout. And uh, I should be put in charge of voting, Joe. I just fixed it. <laughs> I am all for this idea. Not necessarily you in charge idea, but the idea of doing it for a full month. Okay, someone else can run it. I just, I'm the idea boy. Also, we should do ranked choice voting, but we'll talk about that next week. Get the f- to talk about voting more, let's talk to an expert, Juliette Beckstrand, the political research coordinator at Vote Save America. Talked to her a little bit earlier today, and here we go. You guys have heard me talk on the podcast plenty about Vote Save America. It's got a bunch of amazing tools about the folks at Crooked Media. Um, it's how I get a lot of information and learn how to process a lot of information, contextualize a lot of the information that I try to then 
regurgitate on here and give my own spin on on here. And when you talk specifically about Vote Save America, there is no one who has done more work on that than Juliet Beckstrand. Juliet's official title, I'm going to get this right because I took the time to ask you and to write it down and then my phone locked. Uh, it is the Political Research Coordinator for Vote Save America and Juliet is with us here on Chasing Interesting. Juliet, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the time. So happy to be here just a few weeks out from from the big day. Yes. Well, so actually, I would love to start there. The idea that we are a few weeks out. Just so for background, which we'll get into a little bit more. You have worked here in D.C. Um, you, you worked for Senator Klobuchar. You're now working, obviously, with Crooked and, and a huge media operation that's also got a political wing uh, and, and all these different things that Crooked is doing. But I think one of the things that you guys have done a great job of at Vote Save America specifically is to explain voting, which sounds very simple. But there's even this idea that Election Day being November 3rd this year, that got wiped away completely. So many more people are going to be mailing in their ballots. So many more people are voting early. How have you guys thought about the entirety? This is a huge question, but the entirety of the process of voting and it not being about just Election Day. Yeah, it's actually been quite a process. So when when we first sort of launched Vote Save America back in 2018, the idea behind it was we wanted to create a resource that we wished already existed, you know, a place where you could go to find all of the information you needed to know about voting. Uh, before it was just everything, there were bits and pieces on different sites, and it was hard to know where you could find reliable information. So that was kind of the original uh, setup of it. And for people who used our website back uh, ahead of the midterms, they know that it was probably a much more bare bones style than it is now, which is much more involved. And part of that is because, you know, obviously earlier this year, as the pandemic started to become clearly an issue that was going to be uh, a a major factor in not only the primaries, uh, but in the election, we basically had to sit down and figure out, you know, how are we not only just providing this information for people, but making sure that they understand all of their options, you know, because from state to state, it's completely different, you know, whether you're in Minnesota or California or in Alabama. And so we wanted to make sure that we were not only just providing people information about, you know, can you request a mail ballot, you know, where can you drop it off? but you know, explaining to people how these processes work. And so it's not such a mystery and it's not so confusing. And that's really the mission behind Vote Save America for us is breaking down those barriers that make people feel intimidated or confused by the political process. Um, you know, something that I realized when I first you know, started putting together the information for our website was just how difficult it was to find, you know, even a certain specific date, you know, for whatever the last day you can request a mail ballot in Arkansas, like it would take me 25 minutes to find this. And, you know, I'm someone who has a political science degree, and I work for a political media company, and it shouldn't be that difficult to find, you know, so that was sort of our major, uh, like, mission when setting all of this up and is something that's really important to us. So you guys, obviously everything started with pod save America for crooked. It was after the election in 16, obviously um, the, the podcast started before inauguration. It grows in this behemoth. Other podcasts start by 2018. There's a whole network of podcasts. At some point you're brought into this equation. I don't know exactly when your timeline with crooked starts, but can you give us kind of the history of uh, a little bit more than you just did of vote save America when this idea started and then when do you enter the equation and how did your role come about with it? Yeah, definitely. So I came, as you mentioned, I worked in DC for Senator Klobuchar and I, you know, worked, I, started working in the Senate right after I graduated from college. And that was pre 2016 election. And so, you know, I came into working in politics thinking, you know, we're gonna have our first female president, and it's gonna be all fine and dandy. Uh, And then, obviously, I worked in the Senate for about six months, I think it was, under President Obama's administration, and then President Trump took office. And I mean, it was just really from the inside out, just incredibly chaotic. And I felt like I needed to do more to convey 
how dire I felt the situation was for our country. And not that that, you know, wasn't something that I could do in the Senate, but, you know, obviously government is much more formal and, and, you know, I felt like I saw what Pod Save America was doing and I saw that they were channeling that frustration and that anger in a productive way and they were, you know, using it to help inform people and inspire people. And so I applied to work um, initially as John, John and Tommy's assistant, and I was offered the job, moved to L.A. in two weeks, never having even visited before. Um, and at that point, we were probably a company of about 10, 15 people. And wow. we had literally they had just launched, I think, Love It or Leave It and Pod Save the World as like the next. Right. Those were the first two after. <laughs> PSA. So that's like yeah. OG crooked media days. It was early. It was March, 2018, I believe. Yeah. And so then, you know, pretty quickly from there on out, uh, they started scaling up and our political director, Shaniqua, who is, uh, incredible. She was hired relatively soon after I started and she was the one who laid the groundwork for what, Vote Save America would be and how Crooked would function, not just as people who are talking about everything that's going on, because obviously that's a very easy you know, thing to do is just to say how crazy everything is and screwed up. But what are we actually doing to make a difference and create a change? And so, you know, we did a much more scaled down version of Vote Save America that we have now in 2018. Um, and then from 2018 on, We've been building up all of the infrastructure behind not only the website, but our volunteer community um, so that this can be a sustainable place for people who want to work, you know, as organizers, who want to work as volunteers, who want to be engaged. And so, you know, I think on our part, whether, you know, however things go on November 3rd, it's been incredibly successful because we've received such a positive response from people who say, you know, I've never seen a resource like this where I have everything I need all in one place. And like, I can just send this to my family or my friends and they have everything they need. And so, you know, on the one hand, I wish it didn't have to come down to us to like be creating this, this resource, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that we, that we can. Like, just imagine for a second, we had a government <laughs> that encouraged people and made it easy for them to vote. Like what a place that would be. It'd be like huh, any other Western nation in the whole world. This is my, this is my dream. You know, sometimes I think I'm like, I really wish that this stuff did not come down to me, a 26 year old in Los Angeles, like That's someone bad. else should be doing this. But you know, if it, if it's going to be me, I guess it's me. But you know, I think that's something that uh, is hopefully what we can have in a new administration is people who prioritize these things and people who you know, are experts on this stuff and work on this and, and encourage it. And, you know, that's something that we haven't seen from our president. You know, he constantly says things that are that are false about voting and about the integrity of our elections. And, you know, we've done everything we can to try and fight back against that. But, you know, the president is the president and they have an incredibly large, you know, reach and influence. And so, you know, hopefully that's something we'll be able to change. For sure. So, Tackling voting as a way to make change seems obvious on one hand. However, the problems that if you're someone like me and you're a political junkie, someone like you is a political junkie, like we probably get it. I think the average person doesn't realize the intricacies of the problem of getting people to vote. So how did you guys tackle, start to think about even tackling such a massive problem when you have issues of access, but you also have issues of apathy and convincing people in the first place that voting is something that is worthwhile and that it is something that will make a difference. And I guess we, if you want to separate this in a separate question, we can, but there's also like the, hey, who you vote for matters. And, and I'd actually like to tackle that in a little bit just because you guys have stayed relatively just like vote, 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 vote. Um, but there also is the reality that if we're being honest, like voting isn't enough, you need to really know who you're voting yeah. for and the education piece, which I know also you guys have started to work on as well, even if it is in a slightly uh, partisan way, which I clearly approve of. <laughs> uh, but let, let's start big picture. I'll be a good, good host and ask one question at a time. How did you start to think about tackling some of the biggest issues around 
getting people to vote, making it seem like it wasn't a giant bore and that it was going to be worth it? Yeah, I think one of the things that sets our company apart is that we are, we're not, you know, a formal news network or a formal media network. Like we, the guys, and we swear and we make jokes and we- I was going to say, know. you say fuck a lot. <laughs> exactly. And as someone who used to work at an FCC regulated station, I love podcasts. Against against the, the <laughs> wishes of my mother. Um, Sorry, but mom. We, <laughs> we do, you know- we're not so formal, you know, we tweet memes, like funny videos. And I think that's something that uh, is really important when you're trying to get people engaged because voting and elections and politics just traditionally have seemed very formal and inaccessible. And what is so important is helping people realize that, you know, knowing who you're voting for being engaged in the political process doesn't have to be something where you're, you know, wearing a blazer and, you know, being, being really buttoned up and it's voting and your elections and who represents you should be part of who you are and what you care about. And, you know, working on electing people who reflect your needs and who, who represent you. And so that I think has been part of it is making it seem not so intimidating so that the barrier to entry for people, like they might see a funny tweet or watch a, you know, funny video or goofy video that makes them laugh and then they follow. And so then they're, they're getting information. Um, But I also think, you know, something that, that we try to convey, you know, concerning voter apathy and people who, think that their vote doesn't matter, you know, that's, that's no accident, you know, that's the result of a lot of messaging, particularly from, you know, certain people that, that, you know, there are certain people on the other side that don't want people to vote, that want to make it more difficult for people to vote, that want to make people feel like their votes don't matter. Um, And that, that, you know, has an impact. And that's something I realized, you know, I'm from Minnesota, which has a very wonderful record of voter engagement and voter turnout. And then I went to college in North Carolina, which was where I first kind of got involved in politics. And it was kind of one of the first times where I was engaging with people who had just been actively disenfranchised and prevented from voting and told that their vote doesn't matter and told that they you know, don't deserve to be represented. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a tough thing to overcome. But I do think, you know, there is an element of it where when you tell people, look, they want you to believe this, they want you to feel like your vote doesn't matter, they want you to feel like your issues are not important. You know, I think that's a, a motivating element to people to say, you know, you can prove them wrong by engaging in your community and by making your voice heard. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy because our country, you know, as you mentioned, in many ways just does not prioritize, you know, civic education and voter engagement. And there are many, many states that just actively, uh, sometimes purposely or not purposely, make it much harder to engage in that process. Um, and so kind of like I mentioned before, the whole mission of our project has been to break down those barriers and to help people realize that this doesn't have to be a huge, intimidating, confusing thing to be involved in. Yeah, I think that one of the things that you guys have done really well, um, and obviously John, John and Tommy and Dan do this on, on Pod Save America all the time. And, um, you know, I think DeRay and his crew on Pod Save the People do this incredibly well, too, is just calling out the game. Um, and and it's, one of the, it's, it's really interesting when you engage with people and I'm sure you've had these conversations with friends or whoever but uh, as an example we did an event this past weekend with my nonprofit group called humans not hashtags and called sweat talk vote now we have this room full of people and you explain to them oh, for instance why has Trump been able to put so many judges in and it's like well because McConnell held all the spots open like you have this and the reason why they do that is because the judiciary's lifetime appointments they're screwed demographically and you give them the whole history lesson you just see everyone go oh like I think of the quote, uh, you know, ignorance is bliss, but knowledge is power. And there's mm-hmm. so much that people don't know. And especially because, you know, it's just part of the media environment that we experience. You know, it's always all about the president. And, you know, there's not 
so much attention given to just how powerful not only senators are or representatives, but the people who represent you in state legislatures, the people who represent you on city councils, you know, and oftentimes those are the people who make the decisions that are the most directly impact impactful to your everyday life, you know, how they decide what schools get funded or, you know, how much money police departments receive. Um, and through, you know, no fault of their own, people just don't know that. And I think that's also an important element of it too, is not shaming people for like not knowing these things for, for, you know, not telling people, I can't believe you don't know that, you know, these people are so important or these people represent you. You know, it's just not something that's really prioritized as part of our, you know, education. And so, you know, getting people engaged on that level and being like, you know, you can volunteer for a city council race for someone who lives in your neighborhood. Like that's, that's really, I think, empowering and people then start to realize, wow, you know, the president, as powerful as they are, the stuff that they do doesn't necessarily have as direct of an impact on my life as the people who represent me in the house or the people who represent me in state legislatures. Right. And then, you know, you also have the, the reason the presidency has become so powerful is because the people who empower it. And, you know, if the Senate, all they do is just bow to whatever the president wants, if they're party in power, then you lose the checks and balances. If the court becomes that, et cetera, et cetera. So how, this is a, a huge question again, but how, like, what should it look like? Like if, if, if Juliet gets to be czar of, of the coverage and, and we get to break this down in terms of a more accurate representation of the stories that matter that affect people's lives. Like how, if you want to try to do percentages or just like a general picture, how would you, as someone who has worked within the machine, if you will, how would you try to break down what our news coverage should look like? Because we do live in an age where we can create our own newscast. We can go read, like if we were to spend our time just reading the local news or what seeking it out, we can create a, a, a better narrative about our own lives in some way. How would that be done in an accurate reflection? You know, I really think it is mostly about pulling back the curtain on all of the mystery that surrounds a lot of this stuff. And someone who I think is incredibly good at this is AOC, you know, mm -hmm. someone who makes videos talking about what happens, like, what does it mean to be on a committee? What do committees do? You know, these are things that I, you know, like to consider myself, I was pretty engaged with, you know, education growing up, you know, I took AP Gov and everything, you know, and then I was a political science major. But there were so many things that until I actually worked in Congress, I had no idea you know, how this whole process worked. I didn't know that committees had to vote on nominees for them to get votes on the Senate floor, all of those things. And so pulling back that curtain of mystery, I think is really important. And just, you know, having faith that people can understand these things once, once they're given the information, you know, something that I always thought was so funny uh, when I was working in the Senate was we would have constituents, you know, people from Minnesota who would come and visit our Senate office and they would walk in and they would be so surprised that we had so many people working for a senator. You know, we had like 30, 40 employees because, you know, obviously senators are often, you know, lawyers and such. And but they have to vote on all kinds of different issue areas. So they have legislative staffers. They have experts on these things to advise them. Um, but people would have no idea that that was the case. They thought it was just like Amy sitting in an office with a desk and like a secretary. <laughs> um, and so like people not knowing about those things is, you know, not their fault and something that, you know, I think by having legislators who care about communicating these details to the public and, and as I said, you know, taking away that kind of shield and that sort of you know, barrier is really important. And even, you know, with the presidency, something that I've talked about before as to, you know, people who say that, you know, Joe Biden wasn't their first choice and, you know, all of that. And why should I vote for someone that I don't totally agree with? You know, I often think of the president almost as like a coach of a football team and the administration is a huge, you know, organization of 
hundreds of thousands of employees who work, you know, for the Department of Health, who work for the EPA, who, you know, these are all people that are there representing, you know, the, the president, but that's, you know, it's not just Joe Biden making all these little decisions. These are hundreds of thousands of people in all of these different departments. And, you know, whether or not Joe Biden is the person you want at the top, at, at the very least, we know that he will have people in these positions and working on these issues that are smart, intelligent, you know, people with the right kind of expertise. And people just really aren't aware of that. They think maybe that these are just completely independent agencies, but no, it's all, you know, kind of from the top down. And so I think, you know, in my perfect world, you know, I, I wish that representatives would be more like AOC in the way that they communicate how processes work and how everything happens to voters and make it less uh, inaccessible in that way. I laugh because I made that same exact analogy uh, or that same exact point like two weeks ago on the podcast. I was like, can we just put AOC in charge of everything? But like not in a fascist way, just like because it would run better way. Well, she actually, like, I think she's actually done like briefings with like senators and representatives. Like this is how you use Twitter and Instagram to like help people understand. And clearly people love it because she has an incredible following because, you know, they feel like then they're part of this process with her. And that's, you know, really important. Right. Well, and I think I was actually talking about this with someone the other day for on her specifically, there's obvious reasons why she is a villain of the right um, in sexism. She's a woman of color and they hate women and they hate especially people of color. But there's also the reality that she is perhaps the most effective communicator the Democratic Party has had in 30 years, not named Barack Obama. And so that actually makes her more threatening than anything else is she's really good at calling out the game. She's really good at exposing them. That's the funny thing, because it's like there is probably not a less powerful position in Congress than being a freshman House member. Like you are the very bottom of the bunch in terms of, quote unquote, power but they're threatened because she has not let those traditional structures of power in Washington keep her from, as you said, incredibly effectively communicating to people and harnessing the you know, platform that she has to communicate to people. You know, things like before 2016, I mean, how many times do you think you could count on your hands that you watched a senator give a floor speech or watch someone, you know, question whoever, you know, CEO in a house hearing. You just, you didn't because it was a bunch of boring people, you know, asking questions. And she's taken those moments and sort of turned them on their head and said, you know, I have a platform here where I have the power to, you know, have incredible influence and even if I don't have the most institutional power, I can, you know, educate people and get that message out there in a way that speaks to people. And that, I think, is why Republicans are so afraid of a freshman House member. And it also proves that some of the laws of gravity still apply, like efficacy matters. And it's why, again, they hated Obama so much. Again, you also have the racism thing. Not great. Uh, but he was so effective as a communicator that it's like, oh my God, if, if he's allowed to run amok and is not challenged and we don't challenge his very legitimacy, he's going to create problems for us that we can't solve. And I think AOC probably has some of that as well. Exactly, exactly. I want to go back real quick just so, because uh, we're, we're going out of order here on the Juliet timeline, but you mentioned you started your political uh, career, but like you started to really get involved when you were in North Carolina. So I'd love to hear that, that origin story of when you got started and what you were doing? It's uh, very (laughs) normal in the sense that I am from Minnesota and uh, I decided to go to school in North Carolina. I went to Wake Forest University. uh, And so I was obviously a very long ways away from home. Nobody that I knew from high school uh, or anyone for that matter uh, went to school even in North Carolina. And so I was a freshman the fall of 2012, which was when Barack Obama was running for his reelection. And I pretty much just 
wanted to make friends and meet new people. And uh, obviously a college in North Carolina majority was conservative individuals. And so I decided to join our college Democrats group uh, to make friends. And I thought, you know, maybe I could you know, do some good along the way. And as I mentioned before, it was just a really incredibly eye-opening experience to me to, to realize that, you know, my whole experience of voting and politics growing up in Minnesota, which is a very, as I said, civically engaged state and really prioritizes voting and has very accessible voting was absolutely not the reality, um, especially in North Carolina. And so, you know, it was a really wonderful experience getting to talk to people and knock on doors and make calls and register voters and help people realize that their, their voice matters. And um, I just loved it. I loved it. And that sort of set me on the path of studying political science. Um, and then I interned uh, for Senator Klobuchar once in her Minnesota office and then once in Washington, DC. And then she asked uh, me to come work for her as her assistant after I graduated. So it really was kind of a, a gradual process. And I just really fell in love with, with the feeling of helping people realize not only that their voice matters, but that they uh, can make a difference in their, in their own communities and that their concerns and that the things in their lives that are difficult or, you know, struggles that they have can be remedied, um, you know, through this, through this system. Um, and so that was sort of how I, how I got started. And then, as I said, I worked for Senator Klobuchar in DC for almost two years and then started working uh, here at Crooked Media. So uh, I've, I've, I've had a good run so far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you said you're still only 26, which is nuts. Um, <laughs> so I asked that to set up this question, um, which I think is, is interesting. And I will actually reference because apparently I'm just all over cricket today. I mean, I listened to a lot of your guys stuff, but this is insane. Uh, I will reference a, a, a point in Abdul El Sayed's book where he talks about, he had this patient where he just knew like, I can't save this person as a doctor. I actually need to do something different in order to save this person. Was there a moment like that for you in government where you're like, okay, what I want to do, the good I want to do in the world, my why, why I'm here. I don't think I can actually accomplish this from the inside. I need to get out. And that, that obviously pushes you towards where you are now. Um, I think one of the most impactful moments for me was working in the senator's office we had a moment where right after the president was inaugurated was when he uh passed the quote-unquote muslim ban and one thing that people don't of course necessarily know about what happens in the senate is senate offices often help facilitate adoptions um, from other countries, countries that may have, you know, certain sanctions with the United States, you know, more of these complicated processes. Um, and we had a situation where a child was supposed to be adopted um, by a family in Minnesota, and they had been going through this process for, um, I think it was maybe like over a year, it was a long time. Um, and he was the child of a Syrian refugee. And essentially, he was supposed to, you know, fly to Minnesota to be with his new adopted family. And because of the Muslim ban, uh, that was he they couldn't get him on the plane. Um, and so we had to go through this whole process in our office, you know, trying to communicate with the State Department, trying to get um trying to get approval from, you know, the secretary of state, it was really incredible. And so it was just like this very stark moment of how directly this action was not only affecting this child, but this family. And in the end, we were able to, to find a loophole and we were able to bring him uh, to Minnesota. But it was just like a, a perfect example of, you know, we, we always talked in, during the 2016 election about how harmful, you know, his presidency would be and, you know, the ways in which his, you know, discriminations and, you know, racism and all of these things would influence his presidency. And it was just like this, it, it was real, it, it was happening. And 
I felt like, you know, especially in the Senate and especially in Congress, when these things happen, you know, you have senators issue statements saying, you know, the president's new restriction on travel from these countries is unacceptable and is undemocratic and all of these things, which is necessary. But I just felt so angry and so upset and I didn't feel like I was able to channel it properly in the position that I was in. And so the reason I was so drawn to, you know, what they were doing uh, on Pod Save America is that they were expressing that rage and that anger and that frustration, like not just saying, oh, this is undemocratic and not our country's values. They were saying, this is incredibly screwed up and this is wrong. And, you know, we have to, we, we can't let this go on. And so I just felt like I had to go somewhere where I could express that and, and, and harness that frustration, that anger to create positive change, which I think we've been able to do um, through Vote Save America. But yeah, that, that moment, I think, is probably what, what stays with me the most. You know, and then we got a little picture of him. He had a little American flag sweater on when he made it to Minnesota. That's awesome. But it was like, this is, these are real, like, this is, these are people's lives. This isn't just policies. This isn't just statements. This isn't just, you know, what's going on on Twitter. Like, People's lives are directly impacted by this and hundreds of thousands of people, especially now in the middle of a pandemic, are suffering because of the failures of this administration. And, and so, you know, that was kind of the moment where I realized that this, this is a moment in our history that's not like any other. And, you know, I want to do something where I feel like I'm able to, when I look back on this, say, you know, I didn't just sit by and, and, and not do anything or, or not do as much as I could. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, I mean, that's why we started humans, not hashtags. It's why I started this. I needed a place to scream. Um, so <laughs> I, that's what you're doing is far more productive. And that's, that's, I, I, I appreciate that because it, politics is not something that happens to other people. Mm-hmm. It, it's something that happens to, yes, it happens to other people, but it happens to us too. And just because you may be privileged enough to skate by on not realizing how it's impacting you a day to day doesn't mean that it's not impacting you. And certainly it's it's more clear in a situation like that. That is incredibly humanizing. I mean, that, that's, you know, obviously like me, my life, I'm a obviously privileged young white woman. And, you know, Donald Trump being in office is not going to have as incredibly harmful of, of an impact on my life as it as it will so many others. And you know, being able to, I think, for people to recognize, especially in this election, especially when we have, you know, a candidate that maybe not ever voted for in the primaries, it's like, you have to be able to look at your own privilege and say, you know, just because I maybe don't love this person or, or, or whatnot, you know, I may not be the person who is most affected by these policies. And, you know, Donald Trump being in office, you know, is not having the same impact on me as it is on other people. And, you know, having, you know, a Joe Biden in office will mean that life for, for so many other people will be so much better and they will be so much more secure and taken care of. Um, and so I think that's obviously something that we're, we're really trying to make sure people are aware of ahead of this election. Without question. So with that, let's talk about the ballot tool. You guys mm-hmm. just launched this. How do people use it? I actually haven't looked at it because I filled out my ballot like a day before you guys launched it. Like you emailed me saying, hey, we're about to launch this thing. And I was like, oh, cool. I just put my ballot in the mailbox. I hope I filled it out with all the right things. I did. Thanks to Delegate Ken Plum and the mailer that he sent me. So how can people use this ballot tool? What is it? And um, yeah, that's I guess those those are the questions. So, you know, in line with what we've been trying to do on Vote Save America in terms of providing information, we are trying to provide tools. You know, we have a make a plan tool where people can go and make their plan to vote, whether that's voting early, uh, voting by mail, voting on election day. Um, but something that we you know, got so much feedback about you know, was people, you know, they know who they're voting for for president for the most part, and they know who, you know, maybe they're voting for for Senate. But there are so many other positions on these ballots. There's so many ballot measures, you know, initiatives. And, you know, even for someone like me, who I I hope that I'm one of the more tuned in people, um, like when I was filling out my ballot, I was like, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what this ballot measure means. And, you know, okay, now I'm looking at the 
school board council, you know, candidates, who really stands for what? And so our ballot tool at votesaveamerica.com slash ballot, you can go enter your address and it walks you through all of the different offices on your ballot. And it tells you, you know, not just what party that person is represented by, but who endorses them, you know, all about these different ballot initiatives, what voting yes on something means versus what voting no on something means. And you're able to go through it, select your choices. And at the end, you basically have a sample version of your ballot all filled out so that you can either take it with you to the polling place, or if you're voting by mail, you can fill it out um, as you're filling out your mail ballot that you have that information with you so that you're not standing there, you know, in a polling booth or looking at your mail ballot thinking, I have no idea what this means. So I'm just going to skip it because a lot of these things, a lot of, you know, as we discussed earlier, a lot of these other positions that are further down the ballot are incredibly consequential. Um, and so that's why it was so important for us to, to launch this tool was, was to give people yet another resource that they can have to feel confident and informed when they're when they're voting so i'm going to do something really dangerous to wrap this up i'm going to allow us to imagine a world where the work has paid off where it is yeah it's it's called the happy place uh where we get to <laughs> mentally go and I like it here. <laughs> and i say this not to be presumptuous i say this merely because there has been a lot of work that has been put in uh, whether it's someone like you whether it's the, the people you work with whether it is candidates and their staffs and volunteers all around the country to get Democrats elected up and down the ballot to emphasize the importance of not just Joe Biden and Kamala Harris taking the White House, but taking the Senate, uh, take, you know, keeping the House, electing state legislators, all that stuff. So let's say it works. Let's say the effort is worth it and, and we get the results we want. Then what? Because I feel like there's a lot of people that are going to relax and the work is really just beginning at that point. So as you start to think of 2021 and what happens beyond the end of this voting period uh, to, to not go back to just election day, but the end of this voting period, what, like, what is the thing that's, that's next for you in your mind that people should, should maybe not start focusing on because there's still a task at hand, but that maybe some, some pre-planning can start to happen for if we get the results we want. Um, I think actually uh, President Obama made, made a good point uh, about this on, he uh, came on Pod Save America the other day and, okay. and he talked a little bit about this. The funny thing is I was planning on asking you this question and he's like, well, we got to win. I was like, oh, thanks for killing my question, President Obama, and making me feel bad about it. No, but definitely I think, you know, something that is important and something that we've tried to do through Vote Save America is help people realize that this isn't just something that we really throw our energy into, you know, a few months of the year before, you know, a presidential election every four years, because seats are up every every two years. And like, you know, President Obama said on the podcast, you know, that was something that, you know, they had the, the power and, and, the, and the majority. And then because, you know, during the midterms, things didn't go their way, they then were not able to achieve those more progressive goals of, you know, a public option on healthcare and, and all of those other things. And so I think what's important for people to realize is that this is something that is, you know, an ongoing, not necessarily fight, but just an ongoing process in which being engaged uh, in people who are representing you, people who are representing your community, being engaged in elections um, is something that we hope that people make uh, a lifelong mission of theirs. Because like you said, you know, even if everything works out, you know, in two years, there's a bunch of Senate seats that are back up for re-election, you know, the people that weren't up this time around. And just like that, they can take things back, cut down a majority. Um, and if we're able to not only hold that, but expand it, that just means that we're gonna be able to achieve so many more of these progressive goals. And I think that's something that is a reason why I have a difficult time um, when certain people say, you know, I shouldn't have to compromise, you know, the system has ha like, isn't serving us, you know, you, I think on the podcast, Obama said, like, you can't 
get to where you want to be if you don't take the steps to get there first. You can't see it as a zero sum game where it's either everything or nothing. Um, and so, you know, if we're able to hold, you know, take the Senate, hold the House, take the White House, you know, increase access to health care and, you know, preserve the ACA. And then if we're able to expand that majority in 20, you know, 22, then, you know, we can work towards universal health care because then we can have a super majority and we can do all of these incredible things that we, that we really uh, care about. Um, and so I think, you know, that is something to encourage people to focus on and to, to encourage people to realize that, you know, being engaged and involved in politics doesn't mean that you spend, you know, eight hours a weekend phone banking or that you, you know, work on a campaign or all of these things. Like, it doesn't have to be something that you dedicate your entire life to. It can be a small part of, you know, who you are and how you engage with your, with your community. Like, I think of someone like my mom who, you know, she, she works and she, you know, takes care of, of our family. But, you know, she makes calls, you know, on her lunch breaks and, and after dinner and she goes to her city council meetings and, you know, she's involved. It's not her entire life, but she's consistently involved in what's going on in her community and who is representing her. Um, and I think if everyone realizes that that's something that they can they can incorporate into their life, uh, I think then people would realize that, you know, this isn't just a every four years thing. It's something that, you know, we can make a consistent part of, of who we are and, and our, our mission. And I think one of the cool things, my last brag on Crooked is, is one of the things that has, and, and it seemed like this was how you felt too before uh, you joined officially was Pod Save America has made it kind of cool to talk about politics. There, it's changed the conversation from that stiff, you know, politics you know, highbrow, whatever to just, this is how it realistically impacts all of our lives. And I think having those day-to-day -day conversations and taking some of the stigma away from it being nerdy, from it being highbrow, from it being inaccessible has been really important. And so, uh, thanks to all the work that you guys are doing and, and thanks for your time today here on this podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been great to talk about all this and I, I, you know, obviously, there's a lot of emotion and fear and, you know, everyone I think is so anxious leading up to this election, but I think it's important to also realize that, you know, we're on, you know, basically the, the eve of a moment where we could have incredible opportunities to make people's lives better, to get us out of this pandemic, to bring our economy back to, you know, expanding healthcare, all of these things. And that's something to feel good about and to feel excited about and, you know, to feel hopeful about and to recognize that, you know, don't get comfortable, don't feel complacent, but, you know, realize that we're fighting for something really good here. And, and you know, it's something to really look forward to and, and be hopeful about. As one of your bosses is fond of saying, there are no bonus points for pessimism. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Julia, this was awesome. Thank you. Wonderful to talk with you. Awesome stuff from Juliet Beckstrand. Again, the website, votesaveamerica.com. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash ballot to use their brand new ballot tool. Hi, Joseph. <laughs> Welcome to my lawn. Oh, boy, oh, boy. So look it. COVID's been affecting everybody. No question about it. However, when you get government aid, you, you should really be careful in how you spend your money, Craig, and not go out and buy, I don't know, say a Lamborghini. Oh, whoops. So there's this gentleman in Texas. You know, he got some, some government loans from COVID. Some governmental cheese. And he goes off and drops 200 k on a Lamborghini. Oh. Not the thing to do. No, sir. You know, because Congress approved the PPP program in late March to help small businesses. This guy had a small business. Actually, I think he had a couple. So he's getting all this government funding. Not to put it towards his business, this guy goes out and gets a Lamborghini. Of course, he gets caught. And so now he is heading to jail, my friend. That's what happens. Not smart. 
No, and there's a serious version of this rant where it's like, hey, you got businesses like my parents that are really struggling because their entire industry is shut down. And it'd be nice if the money went to people like them to be able to stay afloat and they could pay their employees and all those things. But I I don't really feel like ranting like that right now. I just would like to rant about how dumb this guy is. If you are going to cheat the system, why are you flashy about it? Like, was he trying to get caught? This is like, yeah. if you're going to, you know, I, I was listening to uh, uh, Pod Save the World earlier, and they talked about how this guy in Angola stole like $24 billion. Like, why do you need $24 billion? If you're capable of stealing $24 billion, just steal a billion. You can probably get by with what you need, and maybe you slide under the radar, right? It, it, just go buy... Go buy a very nice $80,000 car. A $200,000 Lambo that you didn't have before is an invitation to be caught. By the way, that wasn't the only thing he bought. Oh, but wait, there's more? Oh, there's more. This guy goes out and gets a Rolex. He puts money into real estate. He buys an F-350 pickup truck and spends thousands of dollars at a strip club. That is some serious icing on that dumb cake. Yeah, boy. And now, sports. We normally talk about the NFL uh, at this point of the show, but, uh, Joe, we're boycotting. Yeah, well, the thing is, they need to kind of get it together. COVID-19 has has been affecting the NFL. Um, It's now up to a few different teams uh, that players are getting uh, infected. So we're going to do a little boycott and just not really discuss until they clean up their act, Craig. Yeah, for for the record, we're not really boycotting. What I'm tired of happening is that we do picks and then the next day, half those picks are irrelevant because the games get suspended. So before recording this, the Falcons shut down their facility today. The NFL needs to get their shit together and then we'll start picking games again because they won't sound dumb by the time the podcast comes out because news keeps breaking on Thursday afternoons. Instead, we'll talk about the Los Angeles Lakers who have won their 17th NBA title, and LeBron James, who has won his fourth with his third team. Joe, you're in L.A. What was the reaction out there, and what what did you think while you were watching this happen? I mean, it was a great game to watch. They pretty much dominated the entire game. I think that was clear. Uh, There was a big celebration in downtown L.A. Sunday night. Um, People, you know, took to the streets, celebrated. Some celebrated harder than others. Um... (laughs) And, look, it's a good win for the city. Of course, with Kobe passing this, this year, uh, you know, the Lakers won it for Kobe, um, for the Bus family. So that was actually awesome and, and, and great to see. Um, and I just, dude, I mean, LeBron is such a monster. He is a, an incredible player. Like, we, he, gets, he got his respect. Can we, can we now let him do his thing? Like, he's, it, it, there's, no, there's no answer to who is the GOAT. Is it Michael? Is it LeBron? Who cares? They're both incredible, and let's let's give him his his respect, man. He's the unquestioned best player of his era, and his era is the last almost twenty years of NBA basketball. It is remarkable, and with all due respect to Kobe, who was a huge factor in terms of motivation and winning it for him, and is a legend, is is probably one of the ten best, certainly one of the twelve best players ever. Like LeBron is at a different level, maybe not as a Laker because Kobe played twenty years there, and LeBron has now played two, but. But let's be real frank about how great LeBron James is. He has been to eight of the last nine NBA Finals. And the one he missed was because he decided that competing to go for nine straight was less important than getting to L.A. where he wanted to be with his family and where he wanted to live his life and set up his future life. And, oh, by the way, he got that team to the Finals and won it a whole year later. He missed one. His greatness is unmatched in terms of time. Like Magic Johnson went to nine finals. Kareem went to, I think, like 11 or something like that. Obviously, Bill Russell is is right there and, and won 11 championships, but that was in a different era. Like LeBron in the modern NBA has done something in terms of time that no one, including Michael, has done. Now, Michael did win six. Michael did something that LeBron didn't, so I'm not trying to say that one is greater than the other, but just the uniqueness of the feat is absolutely unbelievable and um he should be celebrated for it as like you said it's it's not about goat it's about who is in the upper echelon of the pantheon of greatest of all time and no matter how short your list is lebron james is on it and that it was even more cemented as if it needed to be already 
hundred percent. And here's the best part: he ain't done. He might be back. Yeah. In another two, three times. Who knows? But impressive all around. Yeah. Oh, by the way, he's still the best player on the planet, and he's in year seventeen. And that brings us to look good, feel good, do good. Joseph, what are we looking at this week? Uh, You know, look at the election is just a few weeks away. I am so honed in on these political documentaries right now. Um, There's a bunch out on HBO Max that I've sucked myself into. Um, The Bush years, talking about all uh, the Bush family with George H.W. and then George W., um, uh, Actually, George W.'s grandfather was a political guy, which I learned about. That's been amazing. Um, there's a, a couple Kennedy uh, documentaries out there as well. But the one that I really enjoyed, Craig, was called Tricky Dick, about Richard Nixon's presidency in the 1970s, the whole Watergate thing, how he tried to cover the whole thing up. It was because I didn't know too much about that, obviously, before my time. And, and, and watching it and watching the footage and the press coverage and all it all went down was pretty amazing and and unfortunate for a lot of people but um you learned a lot back then you sure did yeah i i kind of want to watch that um i might actually watch that tonight i think i have some some free time um and it's also cool being in dc the watergate is an actual hotel that still is right. around it's it's actually a very very nice hotel and it's just weird because my whole life not being from here and not being someone who is like around nice hotels all the time. I don't know if that's a way of life. I guess it probably is for some people. Like I just associated it with the scandal and you think like, oh, it's going to be this smart me like kind of place. And it's like, no, this was a political scandal. It took place at a very, very nice hotel. And it's just cool to kind of go to the place that you know so much history happened. This week's feel good. Humans not hashtags are at it again. We have a bonus pod up on our channel uh, that went down last weekend, Craig. Indeed, indeed. It was our panel for Sweat Talk Vote, and we are sweating, talking, and voting again on Monday night. And Joe. Yes? You can come to this one. What? Because it's online. We're digital now. <laughs> if you go to sparkbygabby.com, one of my co-founders, Gabby Lubin, uh, that is her online fitness business, and she is going to lead us in an online workout uh, all over Zoom. It's a hit workout, so it'll be a good time, 45 minutes, and then we have a, actually a really cool panel um, where we have Sarah Hendershot, my friend, who uh, is the marketing director at Momentus. And she is also an Olympic rower or was an Olympic rower and is a new mom. And so she's got all these different kind of perspectives that I think are really cool. We have Ben Canyon, who is the performance director for, so basically the strength and conditioning coach for the Portland Trailblazers. He was in the NBA bubble, is on our panel. And then we have uh, Modesto Montero, who has opened a school uh, in his hometown and is in, has an education background. And so it's a really cool and, and obviously diverse panel. And I'm excited always to host these things. So if you want our last panel, which was incredible from Bash over the weekend, uh, it's the last podcast in the feed before this one. And then uh, we will have this panel up between now and the next time Joe and I record. And of course, we'd love for anybody to join us for the workout, sweat, talk, vote. Go to sparkbygabby.com to sign up. And this week's do good like you don't know what's coming. VoteSaveAmerica.com, folks. Save America! Thanks to our girl, Juliette Beckstrand, for jumping on with us earlier. Look, at go to the website, use the ballot tool, help yourself, fill the ballot out, get more info, any questions or concerns you have, that will be your, your reference point. Tons of great info is on there, Craig. Do it. Do the good. That's it, and that's all for this week's show. Thanks one final time to Juliet Beckstrand for her time coming on. She was fantastic. You can follow her on Instagram, at Juliet Bex, and, of course, follow Cricket Media and at Vote Save America for all of their tools. Make sure you are following this podcast on Spotify or subscribing on Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, the whole chicaner. I'm at Craig underscore Hoffman on Instagram. Joe is at Joey Gerard. Joey, do you have any parting knowledge for the fine people who listen to this podcast this week? Craig, love gives life purpose and meaning. I love you, man. This is Chasing Interesting. I love you too, Joe.